Hello, this is Contractor Coffee Club Podcast presented by EGIA, and I'm your host, Mark Madison. This podcast is hosted on EGI.org slash podcast, where you can also find links to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or Google Play, along with an archive of all previous episodes, a submission form for our listener Q&A, and the link to take the latest EGI snapshot survey. In today's episode, we'll continue our discussion about sales and influence. Knowledge. Someone who stops learning is old, whether at 20 or 80. Someone who keeps learning stays young. The greatest thing in life is to keep your mind young. Henry Ford said that almost 100 years ago. So how well do you know your business? Would you call yourself an expert in your industry? It doesn't matter what industry you're in. Now, we're contractors, so obviously we're talking about that. But there's no neutral in business. You're either getting better or you're getting worse. Ray Kroc, the founder of McDonald's, wrote in his book, Grinding It Out. You're either green and growing or ripe and rotting. If you're going to lead the field in your industry... You and I must acquire what I call specialized knowledge. There's a simple formula for how much money you earn. D times A times DR equals income. The demand for what you do, your ability to do it, and the difficulty of replacing you determines how much money you're going to make. Demand. Sales professionals are the highest paid people in business after CEOs. There's no limit on how much you can earn in sales. I know a wealth management consultant who earns millions of dollars a year, and he's 42 years young. Your ability, your skills in prospecting, qualifying, putting killer proposals together, overcoming objections, closing the deal, and following up with extra mile service, and ultimately earning endless referrals. I was doing a seminar this week in South Dakota, and there was a retired Army general After the seminar, he came up to me and said, that was fantastic. Have you ever considered doing seminars for the Army? And I said, "Uh, well, uh, sure, I would love to. That would be great. But uh, no, I haven't worked with the Army yet. He said, I have three friends in Europe. I'm going to contact all of them. And I just smiled and said, put me in, coach. I'm ready to play. Most of my business comes from referrals and repeat business. But I'm never shy about asking for referrals. If you've done a good job of delivering value, you have a right to ask for additional business. And finally, the difficulty of replacing you. Are you the most valuable person in your company? Do you sell more than anyone else in your company, in your city, in your county, in your state, in the country? I know an HVA technician who sells $2.5 million a year while he generates 50 hours a week in billable time. He has a 95% close ratio. He's laid back, kind, generous, and a true professional. Every year he gets better and better. You see, he's green and growing. Colin Powell said, there's no secret to success. It's the result of preparation, hard work, and learning from failure. Michael Laboff said, a satisfied customer is the best business strategy of all. Elon Musk, and everybody's talking about him now, said, if you're trying to create a company, it's like baking a cake. You have to have all the ingredients in just the right proportion. So what can you do to lead the field in your industry? Well, here's 10 proven strategies to become an expert in your field. Submitted to your free your approval. Number one, read books that improve your skills. Psychology, sales, personal development, goal setting, time management, spiritual, and even self-help. The books you don't read won't help. And here's what's fascinating. 
most people don't read. When they get done with high school or college, they say, that's it. And yet it's one of the hallmarks of successful salespeople. Number two, read trade magazines and newsletters, both digital and in print. Stay abreast of what's happening in your industry. Be up on the latest trends. Guys like me write articles for magazines like Contracting Business, but also contractors write about their best practices. It's a fabulous way to get great new ideas, and it only takes a few minutes a month. Number three, keep a journal. Capture your wins. When you close a sale, write it down. Write down what you did. What were the lessons learned? What were the ideas and insights? What did the prospect say? And after every call, and this is a profound idea, this completely changed my close ratio. Ask yourself after every single call, two simple questions in your journal. What did I do well? And what could I improve? I did that with my kids when I was coaching basketball. And my oldest son, Colin, went on to play in college and then overseas. And when I asked him why he made such a quantum leap from high school to college and dramatically improved his performance, he said, Dad, it's your fault. And I said, how do you mean, son? And he said, well, maybe you don't remember this, but after every game, you would ask me two questions. What did you do well? And what could you improve? And he said, I kept doing that after high school. I did it in college and I did it overseas. And it made me a better player. It made me smarter. Number four, find a mentor and ask him or her questions. Find somebody who's done what you want to do and been where you want to go. Invest a portion of your income and hire a coach. I once paid the late great author Dan Pointer $500 for an hour of his time. It was the best money I ever spent. The guy wrote over 100 books. Five, attend every seminar and workshop that comes to your town, whether the company pays for it or not. It only takes one great idea to change your life and your business. And oh, by the way, your sales. Number six, plan your day every day, even on the weekends. Make a list of the six most important things you need to do that day, and then prioritize the list. I did this once on vacation with my family. We had four days in Lake Chelan, and there were four of us. And I said, look, we've only got really time to do four things for each of us. So I want you guys to tell me what four things you want to do while we're on vacation. So they told me. And then I said, now, which one's number one? two, three, four, and so on. Day one, we did everybody's number one. Day two, we did everybody's number two, and so on. At the end of the four days, everyone agreed it was the best vacation we ever had. Do first things first, one thing at a time, and finish what you start. Number seven, think about your goals all day long. Say them out loud. Write them down. Find a picture of the goal and imagine how it's going to feel to achieve it. I told you about the retired Army General. I had told a story about doing a seminar, a keynote in Istanbul. And afterwards, the gentleman that I had taken with me on that particular trip said to me while we were sipping some tea on the Bosphorus, which is the strait of water that separates Europe and Asia, he said, where else do you want to speak internationally? And I said, without hesitation, Australia, Germany, France, Italy, and Spain. And he said, wow, you have them memorized and prioritized. I said, absolutely. After I told that story, it sparked something in the general. And he said to me, I know some people in Europe. I think I can help you. Share your goals with people who can help you get there. It's amazing what happens. Most people don't set goals. If you ask 100 people in your town, how many of you have written goals? Of the 100, only four will say yes. And they'll be able to show you. 4%. That's 20% of the 20%. The moment you write down a goal, what you want wants you. 
The minute the ink dries, it starts moving towards you. Look, I don't understand this completely, but I don't understand why my wife likes flowers. I buy them, I bring them home, they die, she throws them away. But I understand the effect. It's always the same. Oh, which most men don't even know how to spell. Number eight, know your product and service inside out. What's the value of the product that you offer? List the features and then ask yourself the six magic words. What that means to them is, you see, this is how we turn a feature into a benefit. For example, we have 25 technicians. So what? Who cares? What that means to the customer is a rapid response. Well, we have service agreements. So what? Who cares? What that means to the customer is they get priority service because they're an agreement customer. You see how simple it is to change a feature into a benefit? Number nine, believe in your product and service. Practice what you preach. So what line of equipment do you carry? Do you have that particular equipment in your home, in your mother's home? And it doesn't matter what the equipment is. What matters is your belief in the product. You see, once you put that product in your home, you can look the prospect right in the eye and say, you know, I've had this particular piece of equipment in my home for five years, and it's fantastic, and here's why. You see, every single prospect really wants to know, what do you think, doctor? They want to know what you do. And if what you do and what you say are aligned, then you create the belief. Here's what's fascinating about the word believe. The word lie is right in the middle. Isn't that interesting? Every time you set a new belief, a new goal, it's a lie at first. It isn't true until it is. Repetition, emotion, and time. That's, what that's how we form any new belief. And finally, number 10, understand and communicate the benefits of your product and service to your prospects. Here's why this is a fabulous piece of equipment. Here's why I believe heat pumps are going to be exactly what you need and then proceed to explain why. So back to Ray Kroc's quote, you're either green and growing or you're ripe and rotting. Which one are you? You know, Lucas, I know that uh, you have a real passion for learning. I picked up on that the first few times we met. And uh, why do you suppose that is? Where does that come from? I think it was instilled in me a little bit, but also we just feel like if you're you're green or growing, you know, if you're not green and growing, then you're old and rotting. And I feel like, yeah, that's that's how you continue to stay young and stay on top of things is learning new things. You know, it's whoever said that uh, you only get old when you stop learning. And I feel like I believe that. No, I believe that with all my heart and soul. And uh, it's interesting because if I choose not to grow, I stay stuck. I'm in a rut and a rut's a grave with the ends kicked out. Yeah, that's true. (laughs) Next topic, problems. They got a wall in China. It's a thousand miles long. To keep out the foreigners, they made it strong. I got a wall around me you can't even see. It took a little time to get next to me. Paul Simon from his song, Something So Right. You probably never heard of George dancing. He was a graduate student at Berkeley. One day, as usual, he rushed in late to his math class and quickly copied down two homework problems from the blackboard. Later, when he went to do them, he found them very difficult. In fact, it took him several days of hard work to crack them open and solve them. They turned out to be not homework problems at all. They were two of the most famous math problems that had never been solved. What if you didn't know the truth? What if there were no limits on your sales success except the ones you place on yourself? 
Your sales success is predicated upon your self-image. You see, your self-image is kind of like a thermostat set point. If you set the thermostat at 70 degrees Fahrenheit, it'll maintain a four-degree dead band. That's your comfort zone. And keeping the temperature in your office, it, it maintains it between 68 and 72 degrees, or the dead band. If the room temperature drops below 68 degrees, a 24-volt signal is sent to your system calls for heat. If the temperature gets above 72, there's a call for cooling. What's your sales set point? What's your comfort zone? Our limitations are self-imposed. What's needed to take our sales to another level is a new self-image, a new range of comfort, a new set point. Ed Whiteacre said, be willing to step outside your comfort zone once in a while. Take risks in life that seem worth taking. The ride might not be as predictable as if you planted your feet and stayed put, but it'll be a heck of a lot more interesting. Karen Salmonson said, the best things in life are often waiting for you at the exit ramp of your comfort zone. And speaker and writer Robin Sharma says, as you move outside your comfort zone, what was once the unknown goes from frightening to the new normal. A new normal. I like that. My sophomore year in high school, I came home with a one-point GPA. My father had a fit. Once he calmed down, he asked me a simple question. Did you want to play college basketball? I looked at him and said, more than anything else. He said, there isn't a coach in the country to look at you with these grades. See, my father was all state in three sports. He knew from bitter experience this was true. And I said, well, what will I need? He said, at least a 3.2 GPA. His voice was warming to the response. Okay, I said. That night, I set a goal on a 3 by 5 card that said, I enjoy a 3.2 GPA. Homework is fun and easy for me. I read that card multiple times every day for a month. And a funny thing happened. I began to notice who the smart kids were. I followed one of them into the library. You see, I'd never been in there. 1.8 students don't go in the library. And here was seven of the smartest girls and the smartest guy in our school, the Valor Victorian. And they were sitting at a table. And I said to my friend Katie, I said, what are you guys doing here? She said, well, it's a book study. You're in our contemporary world's problems class. Why don't you have a seat? Afterwards, I followed her to her locker. She took the books out. I thought lockers were for storage. You know, keep them safe. Then she said, Mark, here's another insight. When you get an assignment, do it that night. Don't wait until Sunday. She goes, I know you can wait until Sunday to do all your homework. I said, yeah. She said, here's another thing. Organize all your classes. Have a folder for each class. And a weird thing happened. The following quarter, I had a 3.2. It's amazing what happens when you're willing to change your set point. You see, from that point on, everything began to change. I had a big, hairy reason for getting good grades. I wanted a basketball scholarship to college. And it worked. You see, my father had said to me when I came home with that 1.8, he said, let me tell you a story, son. He said, in 1948, I was a senior in high school. I was an all-state tight end. And the head football coach of Ohio State came to our high school to recruit me. And he said, what made that really significant is they just won the national championship the year before. His name was Carol Widows. And Widows says, Bob, we really want you to be a Buckeye next year. Let's take a look at your grades. So my father ran to the office, grabbed his transcripts, came back. Widows took one look and said, I'm sorry, son, you don't have the grades. I guess you'll have to go to Bowling Green. He said, son, that night I went home and cried. And he said, let me tell you something. You're smarter than I was. You're better than this. And that story and the point of the story changed my life. 
My senior year, I had a 3.8. You see, I had a new comfort zone. I earned that basketball scholarship. And in college, I made the dean's list with the 3A GPA. All we have to do is create a new set point. How much would you like to sell next year? Write it down. List the reasons that you want it. You see, reasons will pull you to the future. And the more emotional the reason, the more powerful. Proving somebody wrong, fantastic reason. Anything to do with family, great reason. I was doing a keynote in 2003 in Sacramento to the Radiant Panel Association. And the other speaker was a guy named Dan Hollihan. And I had not met Dan, but I'd read some of his articles in various magazines. So I introduced myself to him, and he was doing a book signing. And he said, hey, have a seat. He said, we'll sell some of your books too, right? He said, you have a book. I said, I do. So these plumbers and the HVAC guys would come up, and Dan would say, hey, you need to buy this guy's book too. He's a great speaker. And I ended up selling a bunch of books. So while Dan and I were sitting there talking, I said, well, what drives you? He said, let me tell you something, Mark. He said, I've been doing what I love now for a few years. But he said, I came to a simple conclusion one day. I said to myself, if I could make a living writing and speaking, and I could put my four girls through college, my life will have meant something. And it struck me like a thunderbolt. You see, I had three boys, one in junior high and two in high school. And that became my reason, putting three boys through college. What are your reasons? Weldon Long puts it this way in his book, The Power of Consistency. Your thoughts drive your emotions. Your emotions drive your actions. Your actions drive your results. You see, it really is about repetition, emotion, and time, R-E-T. If we bombard a subconscious with a new picture, a new vision of reality, a few things begin to change. Our reticular activating system, which is a series of web-shaped cells on the back of your brain, about the size of a walnut, tells us exactly what we need to do. It's the how part of our brain. What happens when we know what we want and why? Ideas, insights, hunches, people, process, all begin to emerge and point the way to our new destination. All we need is the what and the why. Our reticular activating system will do the rest. The key is persistence, to have faith that the answers will come of their own accord. Wallace Waddles, in his amazing book, The Science of Success, written in 1910, posits, man must form a clear and definite mental picture of the thing that he wishes to have, do, or become. And he must hold this mental image in his thoughts while being deeply grateful to a higher power that all his desires are granted to him. Maintain a frequent contemplation of the mental image, coupled with the unwavering faith and devout gratitude. This is the process by which creative forces are set in motion. So there it is. Have a positive expectancy of the future, expect to succeed, and combine that with gratitude. In my seminars, I have audiences write down five things you're grateful for. There's something magic about putting down what you're grateful for. And the irony is the moment you do that, the universe says, oh, so you're grateful for what you have? Well, I'm going to give you some more. And the, the counterpoint to that is if you're cynical, you get less. The universe says, so you don't appreciate what I'm giving you, so I'm not going to give you any more. I don't completely understand that, but it's magic and it works. We can choose our set point. We can change our comfort zone. We need to simply have faith, purpose and gratitude. Just ask George Danzig. He knows how to solve a problem or two. Why not you? Luke, I have a, I have a follow-up we question. have an announcement? Well, I actually a follow-up question on your comfort zone, if you don't mind. Sure. I don't want to, you know, jump in here, uh, uh, put you on the spot. But so I, uh, I, I think that resonates 
like very clearly the idea of setting a new comfort zone. I think that a lot of uh, people and you know, we're talking kind of about sales, HVAC, that sort of thing, but anybody, you know, in my job, anybody I think has can identify parts of their job that, Oh, I could do this better. Um, but right. this is kind of what I've always done. And I know, you know, or we watch, we listen, you know, we watch a motivational speaker, we see, you know, a little, a Ted talk or something and say, that's a really good idea. And then don't really do anything with it again to, to quote Weldon Long, who always says, you know, everything you need to do to be successful is easy. It's just easier not to do it. So I think it's easy to identify, oh, this is my comfort zone. I need to get out of it. Is, and you mentioned a, a few, a few different kind of strategies, but is there, what's, what's a great, what is the great first step to take? Because I think the, the problem is so many times is you see what you need to do. You see that the, the long game and it's easier to just go, that's, that's so far away. I just won't bother starting rather than right. coming up with little checkpoints or milestones or something to, to get you started. So like if there's something that I want to do in, you know, in my job, which, you know, surely there's, there's everybody has something at work that they could be doing better, right? What's, what's like a, a, a nice little measurable something to get me started? Is it, is it what you said? Is it writing down, you know, identifying the problem on paper, writing down objectives, writing down goals? It's a great question. It's about making a decision. Once you decide, right, I call it inspirational dissatisfaction. A number of years ago, I was 305 pounds and I had a 46-inch waist. I was huge. Nobody ever said you're fat, but they'd say things like, hey, you're a big guy. Did you play football? Right? So I decided... <laughs> So I decided to step on a scale. I hadn't been on one for about 10 years. And I'd gained five pounds a year for 10 years, and I was 50 pounds overweight. And when I saw that scale, I went, that can't be. So I stepped off it, and then I put my hand on the counter and eased up on the scale, you know, slowly so it wouldn't know it was me. And it said 306. And I went, son of a gun. Right? And right then and there, I said, that's it. I'm going to lose 50 pounds or 10 inches off my waist, whichever comes first. Again, back to the 1.8 GPA, right? I made a decision. I said, that's it. I'm not going to do this anymore. I'm better than this. I'm smarter than this. And that's what I call inspirational dissatisfaction. You just draw a line in the sand and you say, that's it. I am never going to be this way again. And I think once that decision is highly emotionalized, and once you make that decision, then it's what actions am I going to take? Who do I need to talk to? When I decided to become a speaker, it was after my third presentation. And I had five kids come up to me at a high school and say, that was the best talk I ever heard. I learned more in an hour and a half than I have all year long in school. And I thought, wow. So then I thought, okay, if people are making a living doing this thing, speaking, who are they? Where are they? How do I get a hold of them? So I started reading every single book I could find. I read a dozen books on presentation skills. I started going to large churches, to comedy clubs. I went to every seminar and keynote that came to town. And I started interviewing people who had done what I want to do and been where I wanted to go. So I guess my point is you have to back the decision with action one day at a time. And again, back to Weldon Long, it's all about consistency. It's doing the same thing over and over again until you get the results that you're looking for. And if you don't get the results, then maybe you need a better plan. And I guess the, the, the one word I would say, the one thing I've done right all these years is persistence. I just never stopped learning. I never stopped taking action. Does that make sense? Yeah. So, I mean, what I'm hearing then is, is the, basically the, the most important thing is obviously figuring out what it is you want to improve. So somebody who's listening right now, like we, you know, we said before, there's a lot of people in sales that listen to this podcast. Somebody who's listening right now might say, I want to improve my sales. That's, that's the decision they need to make. Uh, and then they need to decide why, like you said, you know, I want to, I want to put my kids through college or, mm -hmm. uh, and then I guess in addition to, like you said, you know, then learning about sales, you and you know, the best practices and the people, the people who crush it in the business, what they're doing is kind of setting 
measurable, small measurable goals. Like you always say, smart goals, S-M-A-R-T. Um, yep. So that's it. So it's figure out what you want to do, identify who is doing what you want to do and put down on paper. Cause yeah, I think it's, I, I think it's so easy to not, to never take that first step, right? The first step is daunting or the whole trip looks daunting. So if you just, you know, it's just right. easier to not take that first step. And so I guess that's what I'm, that's what I'm focusing on is, is I think we've all seen that YouTube Ted talk before and said, that's great. That really makes sense. I should do that. And then not done anything with it. Right. Right. Well, it's one day at a time, isn't it? Yeah. So I I was speaking to 400 salespeople at Aflac in Wisconsin a few years ago, and I had the number one person stand up. And I said, why are you so successful? And he smiled and said, well, I make 40 calls a day. I quack loudly every day. And I offer my clients a choice of yeses. And I turned to the audience and I said, you know, I hope everybody heard what he just said. I don't care what you sell. If you make 40 calls a day, you're going to be wildly successful. If you love and believe in your product or service, you can quack loudly every day because you believe in it. And last, offer your clients a choice of yeses. Here's a couple of options, which one makes the most sense. So if you're going to succeed in sales, you have to do one of two things, improve your close ratio or see more people. So I was told to do two proposals a week when I first started in sales. And I took a mentor to, to lunch and I said he'd been the national sales manager at Xerox and he'd, been, he'd made the president's club five years in a row as a sales guy. And I said, what's the secret? He said, if your boss says do two proposals a week, you do four. He said, that's it. I said, bless, I'm buying lunch. That's all you got? He said, that's all you need. Nobody expects you to do anything the first six months. He said, and you'll learn everything you need to learn by doubling your activity. And so I did five, five proposals a week. That was more than twice what my boss was expecting. End of the year, it was 150% of plan. So sales is really about, it's science and art. The science are the numbers, the art are the people skills. So you have to improve one or the other or both. And I think if you do that, you're going to be wildly successful. Pick a number and, and do those, you know, be consistent with that number every day until you reach your goals. But other than that, I got nothing. You know, I really can't help. Yeah, yeah. No, I think that, I think that, uh, I think that'll work. I think that'll work. Do we have time for a little bit more or is that, are we out of time? No, I think we can do a little more. All right. Well, I talked a little bit about gratitude before, and I'd like to dig into that a little deeper because I think it's, it's really huge. It's one of those things that you choose to do. Gratitude unlocks the fullness of life. It turns what we have into enough and more. It turns denial into acceptance, chaos to order, confusion to clarity. It can turn a meal into a feast, a house into a home, a stranger into a friend. Gratitude makes sense of our past, brings peace for today, and creates a vision for tomorrow. Melody Beatty said that. So what are you thankful for? This is my strong suggestion. Before this podcast, right after this podcast is over, stop what you're doing, sit down, grab your journal, and write down five things you're grateful for in no particular order and as fast as you can. And then think about each one of those things. It's going to bring a smile to your face. The moment you do that, you change your focus. And when we change the way we look at things, the things we look at change. There's something magical about this process. It changes how we feel and how we look at the world. It opens up our awareness to what we already have and makes us thankful. And when you're grateful for what you have, the universe says, okay, I know that this is your belief now, so here's some more. We live in the greatest country in the world. Our standard of living compared to other countries is unbelievable. Years ago, I was browsing one of Seattle's great bookstores, Elliott Bay. Now, Lucas, it's probably not as nice as Pals, but it's pretty close. And what is, though, to be fair? Right. I mean, you know, Pals is Pals. Come on. But I came across Albert Hubbard's journal. 
Albert Hubbard was born in 1856 and he died in 1915. He was an American writer, publisher, artist, philosopher. He was raised in Hudson, Illinois, and he had early success as a traveling salesman for the Larkin Soap Company. But he's most famous for creating the Roy Croft Artesian community in East Aurora, New York. And he was an influential expo uh, exponent of the arts and crafts movement. Among his many publications were the 14-volume work, Little Journeys to the Homes of Great, and a short publication, A Message to Garcia, which became a best-selling book. He and his second wife, Alice, died aboard the RMS Lusitania when it was sunk by German U-boats uh, off of the coast of Ireland in 1915. He was a brilliant man, an author, publisher, philosopher whose life was cut short. So here's some of my favorite quotes from his journal. Folks who never do any more than they're paid for never get paid for any more than they do. The greatest mistake you can make is fearing you'll make one. To avoid criticism, do nothing, say nothing, be nothing. A conservative man is who's too cowardly to fight and too fat to run. A failure is a man who's blundered but is not able to cash in on the experience. A friend is one who knows you and loves you just the same. A pessimist? That's the man who's been intimately acquainted with an optimist. A retentive memory may be a good thing, but the ability to forget is the token of greatness. Art is not a thing. It's a way. Be pleasant until 10 o'clock in the morning, and the rest of the day will take care of itself. Character is the result of two things, a mental attitude and the way we spend it. Don't take yourself too seriously. You're not getting out of here alive. Do your work with your whole heart, and you'll succeed. There's so little competition. Every man is a damn fool for at least five minutes every day. Wisdom consists in not exceeding that limit. Be grateful for what you have. When you're grateful, you attract more. Brian Tracy said, develop an attitude of gratitude and give thanks for everything you, that happens to you, knowing that every step forward is a step toward achieving something bigger and better than your current situation. Albert Schweitzer said, at times our own light goes out and is rekindled by a spark from another person. Each of us has cause to think with deep gratitude of those who have lighted the flame within us. And finally, Cicero said, gratitude not only is the greatest of virtues, but the parent of all others. Gratitude's a choice. Which one will you choose? Well, Lucas, do we have an announcement? Uh, yes, absolutely. Um, we EGI's newest member benefit is now live. Uh, Contractor Connect is an exclusive online forum for EGIA members that allows contractors to ask questions and share ideas with other contractors, as well as EGIA Contractor University's panel of experts. It's a great way to get real-time advice, strategy, networking with like-minded contractors who have boots on the ground right now. And there's conversations happening as we speak on marketing plans, SEO help, uh, average tickets, employer retention, sales, some of that stuff, uh, and much, much more. So visit contractorconnect.org to join the conversation today. Access is included in this forum with all EGIA membership levels. So if you're an EGIA member from basic to premium, you have access to the forum uh, at no additional cost. So head on over and join the conversation. Excellent. Thank you. And if you want more information on the, the kinds of things I've been talking about today, you can get it uh, on Amazon, Sparking Sales Success, How to Enjoy 75% Close Ratio. It's all on 995. So make an investment in yourself. Feel free to call or email me anytime. I'm always happy to answer questions. Don't be shy. Reach out. Sounds like a Christmas gift right there. <laughs> well, I think so. Oh, why not? Or you know? any holiday you're desiring. Who doesn't want to improve their sales at the holidays, Mark, right? And I'm telling you. And you know, I'll end up sending you an, uh, an attachment called the Ten Commandments of, of Great Salespeople. So uh, there's lots of information I'm happy to share. 
So that'll do it for today's episode. As always, visit egi.org slash podcast to find this episode, an archive of previous episodes, the online form to submit your questions for our mailbag segment, links to subscribe to the podcast on Apple and Google Play, and a link to the latest EGI snapshot survey. For more information about EGI membership, and by all means, join. Go to www.egi.org slash join. I'm Mark Madison. Thanks for letting me play in your sandbox. I'll see you next time.